So how is he going to handle this? It's going to be fun to watch. They've just introduced Asa, and Tucker Carlson is returning to the stage. Watch. No, this is Iowa. Well, pick silly. <laughs> I, I was at the newspaper in Little Rock 30 years ago, yep. and you were an indelible figure then. You were the establishment. You were the, he, he was an editorial writer for the Arkansas Democrat. Yes, I was. So you were in charge of the world. I had to then. pay zero speeding tickets while I had that job. It was the best. <laughs> it's a great state. Thank you so much for doing this. So I wanted to talk to you about your veto of the anti-puberty blocker trans surgery bill in April of 2021. At the time, you said that the bill was extreme and that it would interfere with the treatment of minors seeking to transition from male to female or female to male. Given, and I'm not attacking you for it, but I am asking if in the subsequent two years you've had rethinking of that. Have you reassessed your view on it since then? Well, uh, first of all, I want to ask, how many of you all are parents in this room? I'm a parent as well. and. Uh, what I believe in is that parents ought to raise their children. I believe that parents ought to be in control, and I also believe in the Constitution. I believe that God created two genders, and that there should not be any confusion on your gender. But if there is confusion, then parents ought to be the one that guides the children. That to me is an important fundamental principle. Now, obviously, you could take it too far, and if there would have been a bill that said uh, you uh, should not ever have transgender surgery as a minor, I would sign that amendment because no parent should be able to consent to that permanent change. But this bill did go too far. It was unconstitutional. It interfered with parents, and so I sided with parents on that bill in in managing the most sensitive issue that a parent can face. And I believe in a limited role of government. And so, you know, if I don't think that California ought to be able to tell parents, you need to have gender affirming care for the children. The government should not do that. And in the same way, let's keep the government out of it unless it's that extreme case, and let's let parents guide the children. I stand with parents. So, and, and amen for standing with parents, and I think everyone in the room would agree with that. Um, but the reason I asked the question was not to bring up a sore subject, which I, I know that it is, uh, but to ask if in the subsequent two years, you, you had said that you drew the line at castration of, of physical altercation of a child's body because it's permanent. But in the subsequent two years, I think we've learned that hormone therapy for prepubescent children is permanent. It changes the bone structure, it changes the brain of the child. It, a lot of people believe, including me, that it, it destroys the child's life, but it is permanent. It's not reversible. So given that and the standard you just articulated, do you have different feelings? I mean, this is a permanent change we are making to a child. Why would we allow that if we don't allow surgery? Well, you, permanent change is one issue, but also hormonal treatment is a different issue and can be a different issue. And whenever you look at the bill that I vetoed, there was not any grandfather clause in there. Again, uh, I respect legislators that have a different view, but 
I think independently, I think of the parents, I think of the Constitution, and actually the court, if you read the decision of the federal judge that struck it down as unconstitutional, really sided with parents as well. But how is, whenever, it, tre but how is it treatment? I guess that's my question. If you have a child who says, who's born a boy, I want to become a girl, he hasn't gone through puberty yet, he's say 10. Is it treatment to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment, it seems like something else. Well, you have to, Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that- Well, this is one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would, every person in this room would agree that it is a, a central issue because it, these are children who are being altered permanently, and you can defend that alteration, that change, if you like, but there's really no debate about whether or not it's permanent. And so I think it's fair to ask you in a calm, rational, and I very much hope polite way, why you would support that. Well, I didn't say what I supported, I said what I vetoed. And whenever you look at, at children and what they're challenged with in life, I think it's important that in the most sensitive issues that parents are able to guide them through that challenge. And so I don't like the schools pushing transgenderism. I don't want the schools, uh, for example, when President Obama issued the uh, order from the Department of Education that you ought to have bathrooms in the schools that uh, the children can choose what their gender is and go to which bathroom they think they are that day. I said that is not consistent with the law. I said that, no, but you said that children should be able to choose their gender and their parents should be able to affirm that and the state has no role in getting involved. So how is that different? You're saying that a child shouldn't be able to choose a bathroom but he can choose his sex? I don't understand. Let me finish okay. what I Great. said. Let me finish. Oh, I hope you will. If you don't mind. Well, please do. And the finish is that I told Obama they were wrong. I said it publicly that the school districts can ignore that guidance. And so that's where I think this, the government should not be pushing an agenda in our schools. And that's what I oppose. And so I want the government to stay out. I want the parents and communities and our faith to guide us through these difficult decisions. And so I'm a, I'm a parent and whenever, uh, I, I think it's very important that if a child goes to a teacher and says, I think I'm a boy, but I think I might ought to be a girl. Well, the school, and they want to do something about it. The parents ought to know about that. And so like New Jersey is totally wrong in suing the school districts that want to be able to tell parents. These are fundamental principles that parents have to have information. They shouldn't be denied the uh, ability to know what's going on in the school with a yes. child. And then they make the decision. They can go to the doctor. If the child is suicidal, if the child is struggling, uh, they want to, uh, they discuss uh, uh, hormonal treatment that would delay puberty. Uh, I don't think this government should come in and tell the parents, you can't give the child a vaccine or you must give the child a vaccine or you cannot give them the treatment that you think is important in discussion. But, with, but so, and, and I think you're a person of good faith and I'm not attacking your motives at all. I'm just trying to get to what they are. And I, and I will stop with this, but you have repeatedly described delaying a child's natural progression from childhood to adulthood through adolescence. You've described that as quote treatment. 
And so that raises the, I mean, clearly you've answered the question. You believe it's treatment. You believe, I suppose, that people can change their sex. Because if you don't believe that, you wouldn't call it treatment, would you? Well, the God created two genders, and that's what I have stated. And whenever you look at the decisions on that, no, I don't, I don't support that. I wouldn't make that decision in my family yes. about and changing genders. And I don't believe that taxpayers' funds should be used for transgender surgery or treatment through Medicaid or Medicare or in our military. I don't believe that that should happen uh, because uh, traditionally, whether it's the Hyde Amendment that you prohibit funding of abortion with taxpayers' dollars because it violates the religious commitment of many people, the same principle should apply here. I'm saying one simple fundamental thing that we have to have a debate as to what is the limited role of government. Let's encourage parents to make decisions uh, obviously they can go too far and you draw a line and legislatures have to do that. Yes. But that is the reason Arkansas is one of the first states that had to address this and uh, we handled it. Uh, the law has been suspended because it was unconstitutional. Other states have done a better job in it, have redrafted the laws. I haven't read them all, but they have varying dif differing degrees of, uh, uh, of changes in it, such as having grandfather clauses where you don't force a parent to take the child out of state uh, whenever they're undergoing treatment. Well, no one would be forcing the child to go out of state. It, the parents would, would make that decision. But um, one of the powers that government did usurp uh, over the past several years is, is the right to decide what medicine you take in the form of, of COVID mandates. Um, how did you feel about that? And how many COVID shots did you take? And how do you feel about it now in retrospect? How many COVID shots did you take? Zero. But I think it's fair, and I, and I could see that you recoiled when I asked you that question. Um, and I don't think, honestly, you should be asking people about their medical care, but that became a, a matter of public policy. And I do think that the whole country ought to pause and assess, like, what did we just go through? Well, How do we feel about it now? And so it's a very sure. straightforward question. Well, I'll give you a straightforward okay. answer on a, a number of points there. Uh, first of all, uh, in Arkansas, we had no governmental mandates. In fact, we passed a law, that, which I signed, that prohibited government from mandating uh, the vaccine to be taken by government employees. Bless and, you. And whenever the... And whenever the uh, Biden administration said that even the National Guard had to take the vaccine, I called my adjutant general in and I said, make sure that you broadly interpret every exemption. We don't want to lose National Guard personnel uh, because of their refusal to take a vaccine. And then, of course, Arkansas joined in the litigation challenging that from the Biden administration because whenever you're looking at the vaccine, it should be individual choice. We shouldn't be firing people uh, from government because uh, they make that individual decision. Yes, I took the vaccine and I also, I went out and held town hall meetings uh, where we brought in medical testimony and, and local doctors and talked in the community about it. So 
I think we made the right, I mean, I made the right decision taking the vaccine for me, but, uh, but other people can make a different decision. For sure, but do you think that now, um, what do you make of the evidence that there were an awful lot of people injured by it? I think, well, that's factually true. And it does seem like there is intense pressure not to mention that. And so if we care about people, we should also care about people who are injured by a drug they were coerced into taking. Why, why is there no conversation about that? Well, I think there is a conversations about that, but let me talk I, I don't about think so. the pandemic a, a little bit more. There were two, some decisions were not perfect. Uh, I had to make the best judgments I could during the pandemic. And as a governor, I made two decisions I think were very important. One of them was that whenever you look at the businesses, there was enormous national pressure to say, you're an essential business, you're a non-essential business. Non-essential businesses have to close down. I looked at that and I said that every business uh, that provides a job for a family is an essential business. And I'm gonna keep them open. And the second, and because of that, our economy recovered. Uh, we, I, we didn't shelter in place, which were one of few states that made that decision. The other one was, uh, I kept our schools open after that spring where we all went virtual. I said, this is not working, particularly in a rural state. And as a result of keeping our schools open for in-classroom instruction, Arkansas ranked number two in the nation for days of in-classroom instruction during the pandemic. That was good for the students, it was good for our communities, it was diminished the learning gap, and so we don't handle things perfectly, but we make good judgments, and those are two that I think will stand the t test of time. So I wanna ask you a question that Senator Scott, and uh, that I asked Senator Scott, uh, which is, do you think, and, and would you as president, use the US military to seal our southern border? Well, it's very important that we use our military to support uh, our protection of the southern border. Uh, what I would do in approaching the southern border, and of course I was in charge of border security during the Bush administration. Yes, I know. Yep. And as some people might remember, we didn't get it perfect, but it looks perfect compared to what you see today. For sure. And uh, so I have a little bit of experience along the border security. I was head of the DEA, and so I had to deal with Mexico and reference the cartels. And that is probably the number one thing that is important is to address the cartels, to declare them foreign terrorist organizations that harm Americans, that cause a great deal of human suffering, and are responsible for bringing fentanyl in that's killing our citizens and our young people. Yes. And so the southern border, we need to increase our borders uh, resources with our border patrol. We need to build the infrastructure, including continuing the wall, but we also need to have technology that supports uh, the uh, protection of our border. We need to reform our asylum laws, and then we have to go after the cartels. A very specific plan as to how to bring security to the southern border. Uh, I, immigration's important to our country. Yes. And uh, we're a land of immigrants, uh, and we want to cherish that, and we don't want to lose that. Uh, but we also need to make sure that we protect our border from a security standpoint and from a sovereignty standpoint that defines a sovereign nation. 
whenever we can control our borders. Amen. And I think most people, I think most people agree with that or say they agree with it. But just to more precise action questions. So we have U.S. military personnel in over 100 bases around the world. The president, as you saw yesterday, mobilized some reserves um, to support the effort against Russia in Eastern Europe. Why wouldn't you use uniformed, and maybe, I mean, you, you ran the agency, so you may know the answer, and I'm, I'm ignorant, but, but why wouldn't you just create a human wall of American military personnel and just kind of fix the problem immediately? We could afford to do that. We don't want to do that for some reason. What am I missing? Well, a couple points there. Uh, first of all, uh, the military is always an option that might be needed at some point. But I want to be able to fix it without having to. How about when military. seven million people come in? Is that the point? I would like to be able to do it without using the military for a couple of reasons. First of all, we want to show strength with China and making sure we have a military presence in the Philippines. Uh, we want to make sure that we show strength in Europe and that we're able to maintain a military that has a global presence. And so the military has a lot of responsibilities. Secondly, the military... Uh, may I ask you to pause? Are well, those responsibilities more important than protecting our own borders? I'm going to finish my answer first. Uh, the second reason is the military is trained to kill people. Uh, and it is, they're not trained in traditional law enforcement responsibilities. So it's a different mission. We utilize the National Guard, but our, our regular military, I hope we don't have to use in the border, that we can solve the problem without that. Now go ahead. Okay, but if you have, if I describe to you a nation in which seven million people had moved without permission, most of them military-age males, and bringing with them they brought poison that killed over 100,000 citizens of the country into which they were moving every single year, you would say this is an invasion, this is not only a challenge to a sovereignty, this is proof that sovereignty doesn't exist. You don't control your country. It's not really your country. And you would say that's an emergency. In fact, you might even say that's worse than what's happening in Ukraine right now from an American perspective. And so what, if that doesn't meet the definition of an emergency with which you'd use the US military to respond, then what does? What's happening in the Philippines? I mean, I'm not mocking you, but what is happening in the Philippines that's more important than that? Well. The Philippines is close to Taiwan, and so that sends a signal, of course, that fact that we have our bases there, that if we have the right personnel, uh, the right equipment there, then we send a signal to China, don't touch the freedom of Taiwan. And I think that's important. Uh, but in, in terms of what is important, obviously, uh, whenever you look at the Trump administration, they took steps along the border, but they didn't put the military personnel no, there. And, and whenever you look at how we can solve that problem, if we can solve that problem short of it, there could be, you know, there's some candidates that advocate using the military to bomb uh, the uh, labs in Mexico. Well, that is called an invasion, and I'd like to be able to do something short of invading a neighboring friendly country, uh, and there's ways to do it. I've worked as the head of the DEA with President Vincente Fox at the time to dismantle one of the cartels. Uh, and we can do it again. We've got to use economic pressure on Mexico in order to be successful in targeting the cartels. This last week was extraordinary. Down in Mexico, you're seeing them use uh, roadway bombs, the cartels, and it wound up killing civilians. Mexico has to wake up to the threat to their country 
and to their economy and to their citizens from the unleashed uh, power of those cartels. The United States needs to support that and pressure Mexico if they're not going to cooperate. I'm, I'm a little confused by the orientation. So, of course, there is a drug war ongoing in Mexico. It's been going on since you were um, involved in government. But it's the carnage in the United States that I think most Americans are worried about. So you just described Mexico as a friendly country, and we need to help Mexico get the drug cartels under control because they're killing people in Mexico. But they're also killing hundreds of thousands of people here, and nobody seems to care. So we can argue about you know, what the policy solutions are, but it's, it's the emphasis that I think is very striking to a lot of voters. Like, where's the outrage? 100,000 people die of poison sent through Mexico, and like, we call them a friendly country? I don't understand. Well, you haven't been to my town hall meetings, which- No, no, but I'm offering I, you a chance. Which, it, well, in which I talk about the fentanyl crisis in our cities, and Tucker, you're absolutely right. Whenever I have a uh, friend that I call up, who's in New York City, but he's from Arkansas, and I call him up, talk about a political question, my campaign actually, and uh, I say, what are you doing in New York? And he said, my son, who is a college-age student, went to go watch a baseball game in New York. He goes out in the street, as he should not have done, to buy, and he bought a Percocet pill. Yes. And the Percocet pill was laced with fentanyl. And he overdosed and he died, and uh. so the dad was there to pick up and recover the body. And so fentanyl is a crisis. It's the uh, number one cause of death between those ages 18 and 49 yes. in America. So it is a crisis, it is serious, and it has to be addressed both with going after the cartels, controlling the border, but it's also about what Governor Kim Reynolds did uh, here in Iowa and, and had a fentanyl conference, which I attended, in which parents who had been impacted were trying to educate others about the danger of illicit drugs, particularly fentanyl, and how they can be laced with other drugs. That's the kind of education we, effort we need here. It's about uh, addiction counseling as well, and families struggle with this. I've struggled with this. And so, yes, it is something that I take very, very seriously. Yes. I'm passionate about, I'm outraged about. Amen. When you pray, what do you pray for? You know, great question. I heard your interview, it was really great today uh, with uh, Bob Vanderplatz, and I, I saw that you got to Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's, I've only gotten there, <laughs> but I'm pretty psyched well, for judges, I'll tell well, you that. When you get, <laughs> when, you, when you get to James, you, you asked me what I prayed for, there you go, Bob. Uh, <clears throat> I pray for wisdom. In James, uh, it talks about, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And uh, that's the old King James Version I know. And upbraideth not is like a child that's coming to a parent and saying, can I have uh, something, and you fuss at them. God never fusses at us or upbraids us for asking for wisdom. So I pray for two things. One, that I'll be a good steward of God's blessings to me, yes. which are the opportunities in public service. And secondly, that he'll give me wisdom. And there's human wisdom that understands the affairs of man that Daniel and David were so wise in. But then there's also the eternal wisdom, the wisdom that we can see our lives through the lens of eternity and recognize that the votes that I cast, the vetoes that I do, 
It's not just a matter of uh, accountability in history or with your constituents, but we're accountable as believers in eternity. And so I ask for the wisdom to have an eternal perspective. Uh, the biblical worldview that's important to me, that I learned at Bob Jones University, uh, that I learned uh, at, at the Religious Freedom Conference at the University of Notre Dame, which Francis Shaver uh, spoke. Uh, and I put that into practice in my life uh, as a young lawyer before I was the youngest U.S. attorney. We started a Christian radio station, first FM radio station in Bentonville, Arkansas, in which we had James Dobson, we had, we had uh, John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll on there. We believed in that Christian ministry in our community. We started a Christian school before school choice was the movement of the country because I wanted to make sure my children had those different options. And so that's how I put wisdom to apply in my life personally, but also in the public arena. That's, that's the best thing to pray for. I appreciate it. Thank you, Governor. Great to see you. I got to say one more. Yes, please. All right. I heard you say, Bob, that I can do this. First of all, I want to congratulate Governor Reynolds and the legislature for the heartbeat bill that's going to be signed today. Arkansas has been ranked as the number one pro-life state in the nation. I'm proud of that. We want to protect the unborn child. But I also wanted to say that uh, all kinds of people here with different backgrounds, you've got different candidates as a, as a, as a favorite. Uh, I want to get on the debate stage. I think you want a robust debate. I want the people of Iowa to make the first cut on who's going to be the presidential nominee. And so help us get on the debate stage. My website is asa2024.com. And if everybody in this room uh, gave a dollar and then told 10 people to give a dollar, you'll get me on the debate stage. I'll give Iowa all the credit. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks. Great to see you again. Thank you. I don't think I've ever seen anything uh, <laughs> quite like that. Uh, you know, at, at one point in America, the hopes and dreams of, of hundreds and hundreds of people as they looked up into the sky and those in the sky that looked down, uh, they thought it was going to go in one way. And uh, 29 seconds later, the entire Hindenburg was on the ground. And I think that's may, maybe what we saw today. We're bringing in uh, Blaze TV contributor Fearless with Jason Whitlock and a Heritage uh, Foundation fellow, uh, research fellow to the panel. Delano, how are you? Um, great, Glenn. Um, <laughs> I'm speechless. Said. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have seen anything burst into flames <laughs> and and die that fast. Yeah, and, and I think um, what made it so striking is that Tucker went straight to that question. Yes. I certainly wanted to know, which is um, why the governor vetoed a bill that would have banned what I call conversion therapy, right? Um, you know, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, uh, genital mutilation for minors in Arkansas. And, and to say his answers were unsatisfactory um, is well, quite no, an understatement. Yeah, it is an understatement. Stu, I'd like to bring you in on this, too. It's not just an understatement. It didn't make sense to me. You know, he was saying, well, it's the parents' right to choose. No genital mutilation. We don't let Muslims come into the country and mutilate their children. 
that doesn't make any sense at all. I would classify that entire thing as suboptimal. Uh, <laughs> uh, it did not go well for Asa. And, wow. You know, it was interesting because uh, you, know, you mentioned the Hindenburg, um, which is not a terrible explanation of this. The only thing is the Hindenburg is like six inches off the ground. There's nowhere for this guy to fall. Right. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, I guess it was less of a catastrophe <laughs> than the Hindenburg, but only from that sense. Uh, you know, you look at what he's talking about here, and his argument is basically, and he expanded on this in the Tucker interview initially, that he just doesn't want to be involved in the culture wars. Mm. And, you know, I don't want to be involved in We need to broaden but the he, party. Uh, that is an argument that doesn't make any sense. John McCain. Yeah, and, it, uh, and essentially culture war, what is it? Right? It's what voters care about. So that's he, what it's that's but what it's it is. It's not just the culture war. He also talked about the border. Right. Is yeah. 7 million people and 100,000 people dead from fentanyl that's coming well, uh, maybe to the governor, if this was happening in the Philippines, then it would come right. an emergency. But <laughs> I, I mean, couldn't believe that. And yeah. you know, I heard something I've never heard at a, in an audience ever before when he said, because it's important to the Philippines, because that reflects uh, on uh, Taiwan, and we got to stand for Taiwan. One, One person. person. <laughs> A, a single clap. <laughs> a single clap. A single and he was getting golf claps most of the time. Yeah. But one person clapped for I mean, that. He definitely was in Jeb Bush territory. Please clap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but I think two, two things. Um, politicians who, you know, sort of poll test all of their responses. You, you, you can tell the people who feel this on a, on a gut and visceral level. And you can tell the people who, you know, just, you know, have their consultants come in and say, okay, this is what you should say. Because as a parent... One, the notion that a person can change sexes is something that if I was running for office, I would just take that off the table completely. Yes, there are two sexes. Everybody says that. It's easy to affirm. But this is not, you can't flip-flop. Right? No. There's no switching. So the notion that any of these, quote-unquote, therapies, what the left calls gender-affirming therapies, which is actually conversion therapy, um, that any of these things would be legal is an attempt to promise something to young people that they can never do, achieve that they can ne never achieve. Yeah. Um, so you know, it is, it is it is stunning that after two years he still couldn't get the answers right. And I'm glad Tucker pressed him on it early um, and often. And and Tucker you know, went hard. He, I will. Tucker went after him hard, and he deserved to go after yes, him hard. Yes, he did. He did. I felt bad actually for Tucker a bit because. He is trying to be polite. Yes. He really is yeah. trying to be polite, but there's no way to go. <laughs> no. Uh, by the way, did we get uh, breaking news from Tucker? that Because there was a big, quote-unquote, media controversy at the time when he was, talk he was talking critically about the vaccines. And the, this, the spin from the media was he works at Fox, Fox right. News. It's required. He must have taken this the whole time, and he won't tell his audience. And that's the first time I've, I, I could have missed it, but perhaps before, but that's the first time I've heard him say he somebody did not in, take it. Somebody in research, would you please uh, check that out for us? Yeah. yeah, they're saying in my headphones that that is. That, this that, is the first time. That was a, I mean, that was a big story for yeah. months, uh, a couple years ago. I think there ago. might be a few big stories <laughs> yeah. from Tucker, uh, especially when we get down to talking to Tucker uh, later tonight at, uh, at, uh, at 6.30 Eastern time. So he's the second candidate that talked about Mexico and economic pressure. Does anyone understand that it is the economic pressure that we put on Russia that is causing the BRICS gold-based currency and the end of the SWIFT system? We're now talking, we have Republicans now saying we should expand that even to 
other countries, it's destroying us with what we did here with just Ukraine. Yeah, it's doubling down on top of doubling down, even when the idea is not working. And you see, oh, no, 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 not working. Mm-hmm. It's backfiring. It's destroying our dollar. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, I, you look at that. What what's went on with with Russia and all all this pressure? You know, we were told that was going to collapse their economy. They were going to have to give up on the war. That hasn't Correct. happened. Right. And the reason it hasn't happened is because they've started working more closely with a country like India which should be a high-priority country for us to maintain and improve relations with. You have the largest population in the world, uh, and a country that has found capitalism over the years is actually somewhat friendly to Western values. When Donald Trump was in office, they loved us. I mean, they, they were throwing parades for Donald Trump when he would come visit. We screwed that relationship up, and we've now opened up uh, you know, power to the BRICS countries. It, it does – it's really, really uh, – it's, it's really – it doesn't seem like it's well thought out unless your plan is to destroy the country in every uh, economic power that we have. Let me ask you this. Oh. Um, I mean, unless you had a comment on that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm... Uh, uh, I, You saw... I mean, I, I mean we're going to try to be fair to everybody. Of course. Um, but, you know, this is like a sporting event in many ways. And I don't know if we're going to piss off much of our audience by saying things about Asa Hutchinson. Probably but, not. Yeah. Those six people uh, in that one meeting yeah, are going to be pissed. Six people are going to be really <laughs> upset. Um, when I said earlier that you got to hand it to Asa for at least having the courage to come here. And I said, if... He stands up and says, no, I'm sorry. I think you're wrong on that. Right. I don't think he did that. Oh. Uh, I think he tried to just weasel out of everything, and that makes him uh, – this, this is a very foolish appearance for him. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel the same way about politicians on the right as I do as, with politicians on the left, particularly in this area. I would respect them more if they said, you know what, I actually do believe people can change their sex. I don't think this is the proper Correct. Right, right? But but they never do that. As you said, I think you use a perfect word. They they weasel. They use weasel words and euphemisms and well, he said yeah. God said not not in my opinion. Right. God says there are two right. sexes. Right. And I think parents can override that. And, and I mean and, and he says it. But even by saying that, you, you leave a little bit of space because what he doesn't say is, and I believe you can't change from one to the other. Correct. Right? So Correct. I, I just think, um, and it's the same thing with, with abortion. I, I would respect the left and squishy Republicans a lot more if they said, I actually do think a woman has a right to, to kill her child in utero. But they will never do that. They just, as I said, they use euphemisms um, and, and weasel words. And I think that showed uh, on, on the stage just now. I, I don't. Again, maybe his six supporters and the one person that's here in the audience. Uh, <laughs> it could be one of those six, to be fair. We, right. We don't I, know that there's seven. I we felt really bad because there was a couple of times I laughed out loud hard yeah. because of his answer. Because it was, I mean, I tried. I mean, I immediately felt bad, but I... Yeah. It was hysterical, some of the things he answered and tried to get away with. Yeah. I'm, I actually am legitimately surprised he bothered to come. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, you, I guess, look, you, you take your shot. I think that's just the best that Asa Hutchinson has. It's why he's at 0% in all the polls. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I had a friend who, uh, who went to the, to the major leagues. Uh, I went to high school. He went to the majors. And he, so his first game was against the Yankees. And we all piled in the car. And we went up. And we're sitting behind home plate. And he comes in as a pinch hitter in the ninth inning of a one-run game against Mariano Rivera. Ooh, no pressure. Yeah. (laughs) He struck out. 
this happens. Sometimes yeah. you strike out. And uh, look, the idea of him running in the first place is a massive strikeout. He was uh, next on the roster. He could have said, yeah, yeah. I'm not playing today. Yeah. Right. He yes. was next on the roster. He should have said, uh, Coach, I'm not going in today. I, I got a tummy ache. I'm staying home for yeah. this one. <laughs> so let me go to uh, let me go to uh, Steve Dace, who left. First of all, Steve, go ahead and introduce your panel because you're out in another section and you've got uh, the beginnings of, of your panel. So why don't you introduce everybody? And then I I've got a question for you. You bet, Glenn. I'm out here in the lobby, uh, joined by Blaze TV contributor Jill Savage, Oron McIntyre, host of Blaze TV's The Oron McIntyre Show. So a couple of uh, very smart people, and then uh, they're letting me hang out here as well. And I, I just want to congratulate uh, Bob Jones University. Uh, that was an incredible <laughs> commercial for their biblical worldview curriculum there. I'm sure wow. the, uh, the board of trustees at Bob Jones University, uh, this is God's law, you, but human beings can override it. I'm right. sure they're all very you, proud of their alumnus. And do what you we, remember what when, when Bob Jones University used to be very, very controversial? Yes. You went to Bob Jones University. You were a crazy Right man. now, Bob Jones, <laughs> Bob Jones University is doing the uh, is doing the uh, Homer or the, the, the Grandpa Simpson gif or, he, or yeah. Homer Simpson he backs into the bushes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know this guy. I've never seen him. Wrecked him. Never knew him. You know, I mean, it's just no idea wow. what that is. Yes. Uh, what an ad. Uh, what an ad. Okay. So the one thing I noticed that he did two times, he specifically mentioned your governor here. Right. And we know how important because we were listening to you. This is your hometown, your home state. Um, <laughs> Did anyone, uh, what, do you think that affected anyone here? The most man-out-of-time moment I've ever seen in politics, Glenn, the, the town hall debate between Bob, between Bob Dole and Bill Clinton in 1996. Yes. And, at the, and, and Bob Dole really did well in that debate, and I'm kind of getting pumped up. Yes. Hey, maybe we'll pull this out. And at the very end, he ends it with, oh, yeah, I forgot. And please go to BobDole.com. <laughs> I mean, it was clearly just way out of his element. Man out of time, different generation. It was cringy. My wife looked at me and she's like, "We just lost, didn't we?" And I said, "Yes, okay." And that's and I thought that interview went very poorly. And then we got to the end when he stood up there and solicited donations and stuff for his website. And I thought, "No, nah, it actually has gotten even worse." <laughs> okay. And so that is that that was one of the most cringe-inducing blocks of time I have ever seen in the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, I uh, I will tell you that I. <laughs> I did uh, look at the guys up here and say, oh, the humanity. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was ugly. It was very, very Listen, uh, we all ugly. have strengths. Credit to him for what he did in his state, you know, with lockdowns and coming out of those early. He should get credit for that. He signed pro important pro-life legislation. He's right about that. He should get credit for that. But but he's he's arguing yesterday's talking points. And you can't come in here when, when we have a president saying, let's call up 3,000 reservists to send them off to die in Ukraine, and then say, you know, I'm really much more concerned about the the, the social well-being of Manila right. uh, than I am what's going on, you know, it's in crazy. El Paso. You can't do that, man. It's not, it's it's 2023, not 1993. So why don't you, why don't you get, I'd love to Yeah, I'd love to hear. That. Go ahead. Yeah, I look at this audience, and they're all coming out for lunch right now. And I kid you not, you guys, I saw somebody with a tumbler that had an ASA sticker on it. So there is at least one person. <laughs> I know they clapped. That was the that golf it, clap. That's, that's the golf clap. <laughs> they, they did clap. Send that person to the border. They're very brave. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. When, I, when I look, though, at the preparation for this interview, it feels like there was none. Because our Blaze team here, they're fantastic. 
But it doesn't take a genius to know that they were going to go after that Tucker Carlson, Asa Hutchins interview from before that he already had on Tucker's show. So you have to come out and get to the bottom of that issue. You know that that is going to be Tucker's number one focus coming in here. And the fact that he was still going out and rambling and saying, oh, well, the so, hormonal treatments. And Tucker would come back and say the puberty blockers. It's permanent. He still didn't have a solid answer on that. And if you're part of Asa's team, if you're Asa himself, that's not acceptable at an I, event I, like I this. I have to tell you, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. I, I was... Um, was really put off by Asa saying, I hope we're going to talk about other things, yeah, other bigger issues. Yeah, there yeah. is no bigger issue than our children and the, mutil um, um, the mutilating of children in America. Uh, do you, how do you feel? How did you feel when he said that? That seems to be like a very easy thing that most people in our side, we understand that this is an area that the left is trying to bring up, and it's it's something that they're trying to rationalize. Anytime that they change the language on things, yes. you know that's the next topic that is going to be pushed from the left. I can't believe that there's somebody coming out here out of Republican stage such as this that still is just saying it's okay. I'm. He, he it's limited government. He was clearly he was clearly coached to say I'm a parent. Yeah. And whatever yes. parents say mm -hmm. goes for their children. Well, guess then, what? That that's not the case. That's why we have laws protecting children because you can't just say I'm a parent and whatever I say goes. There are laws to protect children and this is part of them. Correct. It should be there. And if it's true, I know I, I've spent some time over in Italy with, with family, etc., etc., and children drink wine. It's no big deal. They drink wine. Children, little children, they cut it with water. You don't do that here in America. Parents don't say, you know what? You can have a little whiskey. Right. <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen. It's against the law. Now, I, you know, I'm not saying that that's the right thing, but that is the American perspective because we deem that it will harm our children in the long run. Parents can't say, you know what? They can smoke pot. <laughs> they can't. They'll be the the children will be taken from them in this by the state. Yeah, and and I mean. Um, the, I'm all for parental rights, right? So none of us uh, disagree with right. that. But again, all rights have limitations and they, and they have responsibilities. And in the same way, the parent of an anorexic teenage girl can't sign off and say, yes, uh, let's get her stomach stapling surgery and put her on uh, weight loss pills. And, and this is a similar thing. But the, the one thing that hasn't come up, and I don't think Tucker addressed it, um, Walmart is headquartered in, in, in yeah, Arkansas. Yeah, there it is. Right? Yes. And, yeah. and the Walton Family Foundation came out and and said we support the governor and his veto because these discriminatory bills against the trans community lgbtq community um, are going to make it harder to have an inclusive economy yep. so asa hutchison to me uh represents sort of that mammon conservatism mm. right the one that worships the, the gdp and the dollar above all and and it's a clear distinction between the types of conservatives who will do anything corporations tell them to yep. do, and yep. the types that will challenge corporations that try to interfere with the will of the people. Glenn, let me throw it to Aron McIntyre. I think Delano just made a, a key point there, Aron, which is probably why his answers on immigration were weak too.
Same exact yeah. reason. All right, corporate yeah. ties. But what do you think? Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous that he thought that that defense oh. was going to hold up. I mean, you would never say, okay, well, if a child wants to take heroin and the parent's fine with that, right. then of course that's the, right. the parent has dominion over the child, so he can just feed that child heroin all day. Yeah. Obviously, that's not okay, that there's a duty to the state to protect that child. But for some reason, because the left has turned this into a clinical issue, because they've turned it into a medical issue, then child abuse is fine. As long as we can make it a scientific or a medical, we can medical the process than what's actually happening where we don't think about it. And this puts him on the defensive. He doesn't know how to handle it. And like Jill said, it's ridiculous that he stepped into a situation like this not knowing how to answer that question. That That's, that's minor league ball. He should have understood he was going to face that. But the other thing that blew me away about this is how many people who are coming onto this stage right now are unprepared to talk about the nation versus the empire. Mm -hmm. And we saw this here again. He was unprepared to talk to Tucker about why we should uh, be protecting random places across the world, but we can't protect our own border. Right. So what, explain what, the difference between the nation and the empire. I think there's a huge issue for a lot of candidates. They're still thinking about what is my geopolitical position? Like, what? how can I project confidence and strength around the uh, globe, which of course is critical for any nation to some extent. But when you have crumbling infrastructure, when you have a fentanyl crisis, when you have people pouring over your border, when you have child trafficking, when you have all of these things occurring inside the borders of your own country, you have to have priorities. And when you can't answer the question, why is our military putting us in precarious positions all across the world, possibly threatening some kind of serious nuclear war, but I can't figure out how to get some people to my border and protect my children, yeah. that's a huge issue. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you.